Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast where some of the hosts are still in denial about the India-Pakistan game in the ongoing T20 World Cup. I'm your host Benny, and this week, me and fellow co-host Mayank had an opportunity to speak with founder and managing editor of All Over Cricket, Jay Dunsingani. Now, Jay is one of the most knowledgeable and passionate people around when it comes to associate cricket. And we talked to him about the performances of the associates in the T20 World Cup, including the stirring campaigns of Scotland and Namibia, the disappointments of Ireland and Netherlands, the complicated paths these teams took to reach the World Cup, and what the future holds for the expansion of the game in non-traditional cricketing nations. Stay tuned for all that and more right after this brief message. So guys, I want to tell you about another podcast you might want to give a try if you want to break from all the cricket talk. Three Men and a Microphone is probably the best podcast you've not listened to. It is hosted by three men in their 40s, navigating through life and everything that is thrown at them. They share funny stories, life events, and all that they get up to every week, all in 45 minutes each episode. Always funny, sometimes serious, these episodes are a great way to start your week. They're essentially like radio shows you used to love, fast-paced and fresh, with a hint of nostalgia thrown in for good measure. Check out Three Men and a Microphone, out every Monday on all major podcast platforms. Well, we have with us today um, founder and managing editor of All Over Cricket, Jay Dunsingani. I hope I got your name right. Jay, we're so happy that you agreed to join us. And for those of us who don't know Jay very well, he does some amazing work covering associates cricket and even women's cricket. Uh, so Jay, we appreciate your time. Welcome to The Last Wicket. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, so great to be on. I've listened to a couple of your episodes. And... Uh, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, like you were saying off camera, there's so many different cricket podcasts nowadays. 
but you know, I do like what you guys are doing. Um, you know, you focus on, I mean, you know, you don't really do match previews and, and series previews. You focus on bigger topics. Right. So right. that's something I've always been really interested in. It's, it's almost a little bit uh, Jared Kimber-esque in that way. That's a so, very high know. compliment. Um, <laughs> we'll, take those. we'll take that compliment any day. <laughs> Let me tell you something. So last week, um, the IPL got over, right? So when Chennai Super Kings won the final, there were two thoughts running through my head. One was, I hope this is not the last time we see MS Dhoni and in, in CSK colors, that is. And two, I can't wait for India versus Pakistan in the World T20, right? I never for a moment even gave any thought to, oh, there are some more cricket games before that in the World T20, right? Now, fast forward to today, uh, and especially after today's games, um, it's been a ride, you know, just seeing teams like Scotland and Namibia, like what their recent qualification <clears throat> into the main round or the Super 12s uh, means, you know, how much it means to them, uh, to the players, to the coaching staff, to the, all their fans, but even to teams like Ireland and uh, PNG. And the Netherlands, you know, their disappointment at not being able to move forward, and especially after all of the hard work they put in just to get here. And I was thinking that, you know, that's what it, all this is about. You know, when we talk about associates cricket and promoting cricket uh, all over the globe, this is what we are talking about. You know, players that we are not used to following, you know, on a regular basis, like we would do for test playing nations. There are some really good cricketers there and there are some really passionate fans. And that really brings me to the format of the current World T20, you know, where it is, you know, the, there are two rounds. The first round is obviously two, gro two groups of four teams, which kind of got over today. And then we, they all moved to the top two from each of those uh, groups. They moved to the next round. Um, it seems unfair, you know, but I wanted to take, get your thoughts on it as someone who has covered associate cricket extensively and who, someone who knows a lot more than probably some of his regular cricket fans do about all of the effort and work that goes behind the scenes for these teams. Uh, what are your thoughts on just the structuring of the World T20? Yeah, that's a good place to start. And when we talk about the format, honestly, I have quite a few issues with it. Uh, firstly, if we just talk about the size of the World Cup um, and we forget about the first round thing, 16 teams in a global tournament, right? Is, is that really enough, especially in the T20 format, which doesn't take as long to play? It's a lot more user-friendly. Right. And it, it's, for me, it's, it's just a better vehicle to grow the game, uh, especially with new audiences, than 50-over cricket, right? requires much less of a time commitment. So there's, there's that, right? The actual size of the World Cup. Now, on the other hand, you have this whole first round and Super 12 thing. And the first round is really just a glorified qualifying tournament that's tagged on to the actual World Cup, right? That's what it feels like. And... You know, going off what you said, what it means to Scotland, what it means to Namibia, 
it means that they actually get into the World Cup proper and they get game time against full members, right? So it's it's amazing for them. But in a way, it's it's also sad to see that they have to work so hard just for three or four or five fixtures in a World Cup cycle against full members, right? I'm talking higher-ranked full members, right? Not, not necessarily, you know, Ireland and stuff like that. So, I mean, you see these celebrations and it's fantastic to see. But on the other hand, it's also the reason they're celebrating this much is because they know that they just that they've gotten a chance to play four, five, six games against full members and they have to do something incredible, right? It's, it's almost like the, if they lose, it sets cricket back in the country quite a few years, right? And if they win, you know, you just have a couple of games to, to you know, make a statement to the world. There, there are quite a right. few fans out there who, you know, are always putting down associate cricket, even in these days, right? I guess, I guess we kind of interact in bubbles that are, you know, very progressive and very inclusive. But outside of these bubbles, there, there are large sections, not just of cricket Twitter, but of, of cricket fans globally who just don't really understand the, the challenges that associate nations feel, the, that association, associate nations face. And for them, it's almost like a chicken and egg kind of thing. Like, hey, you should not be part of larger World Cups because you're not winning against full members. But then the other side of that is you need to play full members more often, not just in a World Cup, but also in a structured fixture list in order to get better, in order for the game to be more popular in, in, you know, in a non-traditional cricketing country. You have to play the big teams. It's just that simple. Coming back to the format, once again, with that round one and Super 12 thing, you're not achieving this objective, right? Right. So, I mean, that's, that's all I'll say for now, because I know you guys, uh, you know, have some more burning <laughs> questions based on what I just said. But yeah, it's, you know, I've thought about this before, and this has been an age old debate, right? We, I've been following cricket for over 20 years now. And this, ha- I, I remember the times when we used to call them minnows, right? Like all non-test playing nations where it was very kind of derisively, termed and all the test playing nations would lick their lips when you know they would face these teams because it was just a given that these teams were going to get hammered by the more established teams but thankfully we have moved past that stage to where um, even if there are still disparities in terms of coverage in terms of just support for them these teams have made huge strides in terms of quality and there's a lot of work need to be done, yes, but then you're not doing a fair comparison. You know, if you're comparing a team like England or Australia to a, to a team like Ireland and Scotland and saying, why don't they get the same results? And, you know, that, that's, that would be a question of someone who's not been paying attention. Um, but I was thinking that, as, especially since the advent of T20, like more than... Yeah, test, let's forget, let's keep test matches aside. 50 over, you know, ODIs used to be the thing before, you know, the ODI World Cups, teams would come, they, they, would get, they would get very few games in between these World Cup cycles. But when they come into the World Cup, they face all these high quality opposition and they get blown away 
then everyone is like, this is why we restricted to 10 or 12 teams. But T20 format really narrows, narrows it down to where any team can have a bad day, like teams like India, Pakistan, Australia, they can have a bad day and they could be upset uh, by you know, an associate team that probably doesn't boast like household names. So this seems like the perfect opportunity to promote um, associate teams and you know give them more opportunities and why is it so hard like it always comes back to it and I know there are people who have very strong opinion on this that you know the ICC is doing the best that they can and all of that um, but I'm just curious Mike do you have any strong thoughts on this because I don't know if I can articulate a good solution for this I mean, I think I'll, I'll start by saying I, I love the idea of a bigger World Cup, especially in T20s. Um, you know, soccer starts with 32 teams, um, which let's say even if that's uh, that's a lot, let's start with 24. Like, it doesn't have to be 32. Um, but even with the current format, the disadvantage, the thing that in my mind is the worst is you could really win two games out of three and still not make it. Because oh, yeah. there's a good chance that, you know, you win two, but the third one you lose by a big margin and you go out on net run rate. So that leaves a lot to bad luck and could be, you know, in Netherlands, for example, they lost four wickets in four balls and suddenly they were just not looking the part and they were the champions in the qualifying tournament. So they're, they're not a bad side at all. And, and obviously things didn't pan out, but um you know, it, it's minor moments of such luck. And, you know, as Virat Kohli likes to call it, 45 minutes of bad cricket can change their destiny. And, and which is really unfortunate. I, I think that's probably the first thing that's worth avoiding. And I think even if ICC and then, you know, the bigger boards are not willing to have a 2014 tournament, I think it's at least worth uh, considering having a bigger round one, even if, you know, even if you want to continue having a round one, why not have a, you know, a round robin of eight teams, because that way, at least they get a lot more game time and you'll have consistent four teams that come out on top, not just out of, you know, uh, 30 minutes of bad play going out because of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. You make a good point. You know, a team like the Netherlands, at the end of the day, they have been, along with Scotland, they've been the two leading associate teams in, in men's associate cricket for what the last three, four, even five years, right? Uh, let's not forget the Netherlands. They won the, the World Cricket League Championship to be the 13th team in the ODI Super League. And trust me, that was a cutthroat, highly competitive competition. It, it's no joke to win that competition and get into the Super League, right? It's played across two years as well. So a team like the Netherlands, um, I mean, perhaps we won't get into their World T20 campaign, sorry, their T20 World Cup campaign this time around. <clears throat> but no, absolutely, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head there. The, the format is, is so weird. If, if Oman had defeated Scotland, you know, Oman would have gone through despite Scotland winning two out of three and Scotland beating Bangladesh, right? So Scotland would have beaten a full member. They would have won two out of three and they still would not have gotten into, gotten into the Super 12s. And a format like that just makes absolutely no sense. 
it's we're, we're very very lucky that it did not come to that because if there's one team that shouldn't happen to it's Scotland right um i mean i'm sure you guys are are, are familiar with what happened to Scotland in the 2018 uh, 50 over men's world cup qualifiers with right, the LBW. With absence of, <laughs> yeah i mean i'll 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 gloss over it really quickly with the absence of drs and uh you know a, a rain delay they lost they lost a wicket uh to a contentious lbw which meant that they fell behind a duckworth lewis target against the west indies and if they won that they'd be in the world cup in the 10 team 50 over world cup instead of the west indies right but coming back to the format like i said if they did lose to oman it would have it would have laid bare the the glaring flaw with this first round format. And even for a team like Sri Lanka, you know, you could have had a situation where if Sri Lanka did not absolutely thrash Namibia, uh, sorry, not Namibia, PNG, you know, you could have had a situation where you had three teams tied on two points if PNG had lost every single one of their games, which they did. So, it, it, it's not even the best format or the most comfortable format for full members, right? So, like, you know, we, we keep saying this. There's so many flaws with this format. Number one, for a lot of fans, it just doesn't feel like the World Cup has actually started. And you don't want that from your signature global showpiece men's event, right? That's one. Secondly, is just the unfairness the potential unfairness for anyone who is not does not go through because of net run rate and thirdly is it really the best way to decide who is the best team you know just based on on three games yep no i i i think um we're in strong agreement on that um so moving on uh, we want to also talk about the significance of this world cup and especially making it to the Super 12s. Um, you know, obviously everybody's congratulating Scotland and Namibia today, um, which, is, which is great to see. But the other pieces, they also qualify for round one of the next T20 World Cup, which is in Australia next year, which is absolutely significant. Uh, but it's not just that. It's also an opportunity um, for them to get noticed. And, you know, it's, it's just a lot more at stake than... Um, other major nations. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's absolutely massive that, you know, uh, teams like Scotland and Namibia, they will be going into, uh, you know, the next, uh, that they're guaranteed to play in the next uh, World Cup next year. But, you know, uh, the, the, the flip side of that is, actually, they, they could even feature in the Super 12 uh, of the World Cup next year. That's provided they finish in the top eight of the, the men's T20I rankings. Now, the chances of that happening are very, very low, right? So the, 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 the caveat to that is how much cricket are they going to play against full member opposition heading into that World Cup, which is really what, what you need to improve as a cricketing nation. Um, but, you know, I feel like we've, we, I've, I've talked about a lot of negative things, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep it positive. It is absolutely massive, um, you know, especially for a team like Namibia. They've been out of the global spotlight since 2003, right? Qualifying for the 2003 World Cup before this was the biggest 
you know, moment in, in men's cricket history for, for Namibia, you know, so this is absolutely massive for them. Um, just from a standpoint of, you know, their personnel and their players, they have a lot of players who are entering the prime of their careers right now. Most notably, their skipper, Gerard Erasmus, right? That man leads from the front in every way, shape, and form, right? He is arguably their best batter, uh, at least their best, uh, you know, top order batter. So they have him, you know, they've got the bomb squad in JJ Smith, David Visa. His addition to this Namibian lineup has been, you know, you could argue that that's that's exactly what got them into the Super 12, right? Perhaps without David Visa, they they definitely have a harder time getting to the Super 12. But you also have a lot of young uh, bowlers coming up. Ruben Trumpelman, of course, 23 years old. They have another two left armers in J.J. Smith himself, Jan Freilink, who's been, been around for quite a long time. Right. So that's the exciting thing about Namibia, right? They, they have that left arm quick matchup. And it's not always easy for um, associates and full members alike to, you know, to... to come out on top with that left arm matchup. It's almost, it's almost a little Pakistan in, in that regard. And I think that's really helped them throughout this tournament. So um, yeah, for a team like Namibia, it, it's so important that this happened to them now because I honestly think in the next few years and the few years that have gone by, this is the golden period of Namibian cricket. Namibian men's cricket has never been stronger. So for them to get this opportunity now, oh my word! You know, I think I think we could see them pulling off an upset in 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 the Super Twelve stage, an upset or two in the Super Twelve stage, and yeah. you know, to, to have this opportunity one year later to do it all over again, absolutely invaluable from the perspective of Namibian cricket. Right, and I think the other aspect that I I can think of is. You know, we, we read stories about uh, Scottish players who were due to COVID, due to all the uh, absence of, you know, contracts, central contracts. They were working as Amazon delivery drivers. And from there, they get a chance to be on the big stage and potentially get a, I don't know, a hundred contract, for example, something like that, which can really help them, you know, be professional all the time and, and not have to worry about these part-time jobs. And that will definitely go a long way in um, professionalizing their cricket. Um, but but let's get in, into the teams. And I, I know you talked about Namibia and I, I personally, I wasn't able to watch all the games, but the one game that I did watch, I was very impressed. And that was the game that they lost against Sri Lanka. But the reason I was impressed was um, to your point, uh, you uh, you know their their captain uh, was batting against Hasaranga, and he Hasaranga missed his length by a little bit on two balls, and both were thrashed for four. And I was like, I, I don't remember the last associate batsman who is so good with you know picking the line and length of such a good quality bowler, and and that just shows that the talent in associate cricket is pretty solid. And I think we can say the same for Oman, another side that hasn't qualified, unfortunately. But um, their opening batsman, Jatinder Singh, seems like a very good T20 batter. Um, Bilal Khan, the swing bowler, was very impressive as well. Um, so what are your thoughts generally about the, uh, generally about the talent in these countries? Uh, there's absolutely no shortage of talent in Oman, Namibia, Scotland. None at all, right? 
with a lot of Scottish players, we've seen them play county cricket, not just before entering the prime of their Scotland, Scotland careers, but also in the last couple of years, Callum McLeod, George Munsey, uh, Brad Wheel, right? Quite a few players, Safian Sharif, quite a few years ago as well. So, you know, clearly these are players of, of you know, high pedigree. And, you know, you, you just raised the point of Erasmus and you haven't seen someone pick length against leg spin this well. Uh, Scottish fans will say, dude, have you seen Callum McLeod's innings against Afghanistan and that famous victory against England, right? Callum McLeod is a fantastic player of spin. Make no mistake about this, right? That innings against England, I think it was 140 of 96 deliveries, right? This is, this is quite an insane innings against the world champions. Sure, they were missing a couple of people here and there, but at the end of the day, that you know, you saw England absolutely demolish Pakistan 3-0 with a side that was a lot weaker than the side that played Scotland at the Grange that day uh, three years ago, right? So there's never been a shortage of talent in associate cricket, even Jatinder Singh. Jatinder Singh is one of the single most improved T20 batters in the last three years. I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking specifically of men's cricket, but across full member and associate cricket. Very few people have improved as much as Jatinder Singh. Uh, his strike rate in T20I cricket and T20 cricket was actually languishing at around 89 a couple of years ago, right? You look at his, you look at his current uh, career strike rate and it's closer to 120. But just in the last couple of years, he's played some absolutely outrageous knocks both in, in ODI cricket and T20Is. Um, just one last uh, fun fact. You know, anyone who's followed me on social media, you would have seen me tweet about this at least half a dozen times, right? There was an all or nothing game at the 2019 qualifier. The winner would have gotten into the World Cup and the loser would see their World Cup dreams absolutely shattered, right? It was Oman and Hong Kong. Uh, I'm a Hong Konger, by the way. So this was a this is this this can be hard to talk about, but uh, Oman were I think eighty for six or something like that, and they looked dead and buried. Right, there were three overs left. Jatinder Singh and another guy, Naseem Kushi, they absolutely demolish Hong Kong. Fifty runs in the last three overs, right? And then you have someone like Bilal Khan coming in, taking three early wickets, rips the heart out of Hong Kong's top order, right? So that just shows you exactly how much talent and how dangerous these guys are, right? Um, and I know we risk, uh, you know, going off topic here. So I'll just say this really quickly. Oman actually lost to Qatar in the ACC Asia Cup Western region qualifiers, right? So, I mean, it just shows you how much, you know, how competitive associate cricket is and how close the lowest ranked, sorry, the highest ranked associates are to the lowest ranked full members and how close they are to, you know, mid-ranked full members as well. Uh, Scotland, at the end of the day, they won that boundary battle against Sri Lanka, right? They hit 15 boundaries compared to, sorry, against Bangladesh, right? They out-T20'd Bangladesh, right? Let's, and Bangladesh is ranked sixth in the rankings, right? So at the, at the end of the day, there's, there's just so much 
world cricket, men's cricket has never been more competitive than it is right now. And this whole full member and associate thing, the funding models around that, they absolutely have to change. The, the wording and, and just the whole concept of membership as well. It just reinforces this idea that cricket is a members only club. And we're still trying to break out of that whole, you know, we're, we're still trying to overcome this idea that cricket can only be played and cricket can only be popular in its traditional centers of India, England, Australia, and, and, and you know, English colonial strongholds. That is complete and utter BS. I feel like I'm, I've, I've completely gone off track. I'm going to be honest. I don't even remember what question you asked me. <laughs> Anytime you bring up associate cricket, I'm somehow <laughs> going to be tempted to go down the path of a rant. So, I mean, I hope I've answered your we question. The I have no idea what that's, your question was. that's totally fine, Jay. We love the passion. <laughs> you know, but you, you, you are right. The associate, you know, when it comes to associate cricket, it seems like a separate universe. It seems like a separate ecosystem, almost separate from the uh, test playing nation, like let's say series between the test playing nations, right? Because all year round, just take out you know the T20 uh, tournament out of the picture for a minute, you would think there are only, there's only cricket happening between eight teams if you follow mainstream cricket coverage, you know? Um, and even when it comes to actual games for between associate teams or involving associate teams, it feels like half the time the commentators are speaking about, <laughs> you know, in context with, or in, sometimes not even in context. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to get you started on another rant. So <laughs> I'll keep going. Um, but all that to say, you know, it just seems like a separate universe at most times. And it's still a big improvement from probably 10 or 15 years ago. And as, an, as much as it is an exciting time for associate teams now, it is also a very critical time is what I feel like, you know, it's up to the ICC and not just ICC, I would say even all the other boards of all the other major cricketing nations, I feel like they have to step up and provide support. And it doesn't have to be only monetary. It can be arranging series, bilateral series. Maybe you don't want to do 50 over because you think that, you know, there's no money in that. Nobody's going to watch it. But you bring T20. When, when you see these teams play, when you see the quality of players in these teams, my thought as someone who's not really watched a lot of associate cricket is I want to see more of them, you know? And I know some of these players are very fortunate to be playing in franchise cricket. And I'm like, well, we want to see them playing for their national team against a major team just so that we can see them get more exposure, but also for fans to see you know them play you know it, it's 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 sad that we see teams like india play you know teams like like they wouldn't be playing namibia if they hadn't made it to the super 12 i don't even know when the next opportunity would have been and i feel like just arrange so if india are touring south africa maybe organize a, a short series like a two match or a three match t20 series and India are good enough that they they don't even have to send their full strength squad, but you know even the A A team they still have enough star players to draw crowds and to draw some interest to it. These are just common sense solutions. Um, I would be great at the ICC, by the way, but you know, um, but 
coming back too much to of an idealist, man. They'd they'd strike you down. <laughs> you wouldn't last a day, man. <laughs> but no, but you know, honestly, I, I do I do hear what you're saying. Um, and I think it's a it's a good time to transition to you know some positive topics as well. Um, you know, the great thing now with all the qualifying tournaments that you have in the lead up to next year's T20 uh, men's T20 World Cup. but also uh you know the women's world cup qualification pathways you can watch all of this on icc.tv and right. if you're in india you can watch this on fan code so you know a lot of these tournaments there now you can actually watch the players that you just read about in a cursory glance on a scorecard right so <clears throat> you know that's that's one thing that's improved uh secondly you know we're going to after next year we're going to have a uh, subsequent T20 world cups with 20 teams men's t20 world cups with 20 teams so i mean you know that's 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 another really positive development so yeah you know amongst all these rants there is also a lot of we we are taking positive steps in the right direction and of course you know i also want to talk about the women's game you know uh there are quite a few stories that uh, you know fall under the radar of course we all know about brazil and uh you know the professional contracts handed out over there Of course we know about Thailand and everything they accomplished pre-covid in in February 2020 at the World Cup where by the way I on like most people I honestly thought they were going to beat Pakistan the stupid stupid Sydney weather just had to interrupt but um you know on on a smaller scale you also have Nepal's women's team uh I'm 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 be honest I don't think the contracts were enough but it it was a step in the right direction I believe it was nine contracts handed out there uh in malaysia you have 15 uh contracts being handed out to the women's team and oh, there's one more uh that i'm forgetting but uh yeah anyway you, you know you look at team, like a like a you look at a team like malaysia right the gains they're making in women's cricket and even in men's cricket they, they really fall below the radar a lot of people don't realize the great work that malaysian cricket is doing um they have some of the highest participation rates in men's and women's associate cricket right they're they're ranked third on an icc scorecard that ranks teams based on things like participation uh, facilities infrastructure your your domestic leagues and everything like that so in 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 that sense right that there's never been a better time to get into associate cricket it's never been more accessible than it has been in the last few years and it's becoming more and more accessible right um and another thing i'll just gloss over this really quickly with an eye on time is more and more associate teams now have a regular and predictable fixture list right you have things like uh you know cricket world cup league 2 and below that you have something called the challenge league right and it just makes it easier for them to you know for for players to you know tell their employers for example hey you know what there's a tournament in october i'm going to need x amount of days off right so they can start planning their leave their annual leave and everything like that and they can it's easier to get that clearance right but you also have more fixtures so just really quickly a, a challenge league team for example is guaranteed i want to say 15 odis in in a two and a half year cycle right so you have that guaranteed fixture list as as opposed to before where maybe you get 10 games maybe you get 12 games if you get into the next 
World Cricket League tournament, you get 15. And there was all this uncertainty. So associate teams, in general, they are playing more. Uh, and when they're playing, there's a way to watch them play as well. And World Cups are getting bigger. So that's another plus. Right. And of course, the fourth advantage that we'll, you know, we haven't covered yet is the likelihood of cricket being included in the Olympics for the first time since 1903. That is absolutely massive. But yeah, you know, so there, there actually is a lot of room for optimism amidst, uh, you know, all the rants that I've uh, subjected you <laughs> in the last 45 minutes. You know, I was just thinking as you were saying that, uh, talking about associate women's cricket, you know, as as much as I don't know enough about associate cricket mm. in general, I know even less uh, about associate women's cricket. I know about Brazil because they've been uh, more in spotlight than more other teams. Uh, but I feel like that's, we would have to devote an episode entirely just to talk about that. And we'll probably have I think you back you should. to that. I think you should. You probably should, man. I think yeah. it would be a fun episode. But let's do a quick run through of the associate teams in this edition of the World T20. Um, this team, they made me a little sad. Uh, Ireland, you know, for a long time, they've been like the, the standard bearers for associate cricket. You know, we know of all the famous triumphs in years gone by. And after they became test playing nations, they seemed to be like a very bright future. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, they went uh, after a good first day, uh, you know, when Curtis Camper took a hat trick. But now they're out of the tournament. They're not even they've, they've not even qualified for the Super 12. Uh, and it seems like a general trend in the last few years. Uh, Mike did a good job in pulling up a graphic, which we'll put up on our website, too is that in terms of if you if you filter for the associate teams playing t20 international since 2018 ireland are last in terms of the win-loss ratio what has happened you know they have they have players who are playing in england they're some of them are playing franchise cricket but as a team why has their performance not really been great yeah you know the thing about uh you know the graphic that you're talking about it it could have been a lot a lot worse for Ireland, right? The reason they've been able to win as much as they have, which is not a lot, is because of, of someone like a Paul Sterling, because of someone as dangerous as a Gareth Delaney, for example, right? So you, you actually, you do find this with uh, quite a few teams, um, to be completely fair to Ireland, right? They're not the only top-heavy team um, out there that struggles to find finishers. But the thing with Ireland, at least from my perspective, is there's quite a large gap between Irish interprovincial cricket and international cricket, right? And Ireland, I don't think they've really done themselves any favors just in terms of planning for the future and, and giving youngsters opportunities, right? You look at the likes of a Neil Rock or a Stephen Doherty, and you cannot bring these people in to the national setup just a few months before a major global tournament and expect them to take to international cricket like moths to a flame. It's completely unrealistic, right? Even if you look at full member domestic cricket, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to expect someone to turn into a, a solid, you know, international quality player just in the space of three months. It's asking a lot of them to just come in three months later, perform, 
at a World Cup. And, you know, you, you look at something like the qualifier in 2019, and I'm just, I'm just naming one name, but some, someone like William Porterfield or Gary Wilson, like what, what role do these guys have to play in the, in, in the grand scheme of things in, in T20 cricket? And I guess Ireland aren't the only ones in, in world cricket. A lot of full members are like this, but it, you just get the feeling like, do these people even understand how T20 cricket works? Do they understand that, you know, 64% of the time, if one team loses the boundary battle and one team loses the dot, sorry, one team wins the boundary battle, one team wins the dot ball battle. In those situations, 64% of the time, the team that wins the boundary battle wins the game. In T20 cricket, when it comes to batting, you have to hit more boundaries. That's just a much better approach, right? So Ireland... I just feel like they're planning specifically for T20I cricket in, in, well, the men's. It just, it hasn't been ideal. And it just got to a point where it was too late for them to really do anything. Curtis Camper, for example, fantastic talent, right? But what, what is the role that player X, Y, Z is playing? Where are your finishers going to come from? It didn't seem like they had a game plan to find these answers. And I'll be honest, I'm going to be harsh, but I mean, I don't see anyone challenging, challenging me on this, but Ireland actually had a very poor tournament, either side of that Curtis Camper double hat trick, right? What did they actually accomplish either side of Curtis Camper's double hat trick? Without that, they'd be going home completely empty-handed. They'd, they'd be zero and three, right? So yeah, that's... Um, that that's that's the frustrating thing about Ireland. But I like I said, they will not. They're not the only team in world cricket who haven't quite nailed their T Twenty strategy. And to come back to your question, that is the reason why Ireland have not done better this time around. I'm I'm also curious about uh, PNG, um, and a lot has been written about them and how they're you know spectacular feeling side. Uh, I know Peter Delapena said that their feeling is not just the best amongst amongst associate teams, but they're pretty much at the level of some of the international, you know, major teams as well. Um, but after being runners up in the 2019 qualifiers, um, they lost 17 straight ODIs, and uh, since 2019, they've lost T20s as well, about six or seven of them, and. Um, I almost think it's a little bit unlucky for them because this World Cup was supposed to be last year and in Australia, uh, where a number of their players have played great cricket. Um, so considering all that, would you would you say they've been a touch unlucky along with a string of just bad form? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I believe the statistic was 640 days. They went without international cricket. Um, that is absolutely insane, you know. It's so, I mean, I, I certainly do feel for them. Um, at, at, yeah, and, and really it, it does come down to that. The men's team not playing for 640 days. How do you go from that to, to suddenly, you know, going back to your former selves, right? If, if COVID-19 did not happen and we had the World Cup in 2020 and they had that time to fly around, you know, tour X and Y country, do some more, uh, T20I specific prep um, in in the Middle East. I, I think we would have had a much much different result 
um, they would have been a lot more competitive. And we actually saw flashes of what PNG is capable of throughout the tournament. In that game against Oman, at one point, it really looked like they were they were going to push 160. And from my perspective, at one point in that game, they actually looked like favorites, right? And then it all went pear-shaped. There was that big collapse for them, right? But PNG, and especially with their fielding, their fielding throughout the tournament was fantastic, right? But coming back to, you know, that long streak of them, you know, losing, I'm not actually entirely sure of the statistic, but, you know, losing more than a dozen white ball games uh, on the trot. The strange thing about PNG is uh, they actually started the World Cricket League Championship by, I believe, winning eight ODIs or eight list A fixtures in a row, right? So they went from that to suddenly losing every game they played in ODI cricket, right? So yes, once again, you know, it does come down to, to preparation. But at the end of the day, the T20 format is the strongest format for the PNG men's team. And unfortunately, if, if you're not going to play a T20I for practically two years, you will get weaker in the format. It's just that simple. Um, right. And yeah, you know, it, my, my heart goes out to them because like I said, if, this, if, if it wasn't for COVID, if this tournament was played in 2020, I have no doubt we'd see a much improved performance from a team that, by the way, finished runners up in the 2019 qualifier. Um, they and, finished and, above Oman, they finished above Scotland, right? Right. So and I almost feel I almost feel that it's a similar story with Netherlands, who finished as champions in that tournament. And they've, all, they've had an aging squad. And, and in spite of that, they, they did really well in the qualifying tournament. And again, as you said, they didn't play a lot of cricket because of COVID. And um, obviously, aside from that four wicket over, they, they just never seem to get it together for these three days. But really, that, that doesn't really show the amount of work that those put in and that led to that, you know, winning them the 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 qualifying tournament and and I think that's where um, I, I personally feel Netherlands is probably in the same category. With, with Netherlands, it is uh, slightly different. the The issue with the Netherlands preparation is that they didn't they don't really have turf wickets that you can play on in uh, September October in the Netherlands. So what they did is they actually came down to the UAE on the twenty second of September, and they were supposed to play. Uh, quite a few warm-up games against uh, sides such as the UAE and a few other associate members. Uh, that, however, did not materialize. Uh, I spoke to Ryan Campbell and, you know, the, uh, the, the interview is on my YouTube channel as well, as well as on allovercricket.com. And I obviously, you know, in a situation like this, it's hard for anyone to get anyone on the record to, you know, play the blame game. But for whatever reason, uh, those warm-up fixtures did not materialize at the Seven Stadium in Dubai, where uh, you know where the Netherlands were in a bio bubble. So the Netherlands only really had three T20Is, sorry, three T20 warm-up fixtures heading into the World Cup with their full-strength team. Uh, now the 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 thing about Netherlands's uh, full-strength T20I team is they actually hadn't been together since the final of the 2019 qualifiers. So their full strength team had not played together for two 
years. Right. So in that sense, it is it is similar to PNG, but something has happened there with the Netherlands cricket. Either, you know, either it's 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 just a lack of planning and foresight from from you know board members at KNCB. It's either that or somehow they got screwed over and they were supposed to play a tournament and it didn't happen. So one of those two two things has happened. I'm not in a position to to know which one of those things has happened. So yeah, and in, 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 in the case of the Netherlands, it's, it's a similar thing, but it's for different reasons as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, in any case, you know, like we said, we're coming back to the whole COVID-19 pandemic thing. Uh, without the pandemic, if this World Cup was played in the year 2020, the Netherlands, they would have been much better prepared as a full strength unit Um so yeah, I mean, at the, and like I said, these two teams finished at the top in the 2019 qualifiers, right? They finished higher than Oman, higher than Namibia, higher than Ireland, higher than Scotland. And strangely enough, these two teams are the teams that aren't going through to the Super 12s. And you know, um, when I was watching the game earlier, when uh, Netherlands played against Sri Lanka, it was it was kind of hard to watch them being almost exposed. You know, it, it was if you're a fan of associate teams, that's not the kind of performance you you want to see them put because unfairly they're always judged harshly, right? Like, sure, when Scotland wins, when Namibia wins, everyone's like, "Oh, look at this! It's an amazing story." But when a team like Netherlands get crushed like that, they're like, "Okay, they're such a huge gulf, and we need to reevaluate." And it, it is, it is really sad. So I don't know. It, it was just disappointing to see. But like I said, you know, they topped the 2019 qualifier. So again, like a lot of things, COVID-19 derailed. Uh, you know, one other thing it has derailed, and it was sad to see. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And you know, there's there's a lot of people say, oh, you know, you have to watch out for this team. They have nothing to lose. Right. But the other, the flip side of having nothing to lose is having nothing to play for. We saw that with PNG, you know, and how they completely capitulated against Bangladesh. And we saw it again last night against, uh, for, with, in the Netherlands and Sri Lanka game. And I remember sending you guys a DM. I'm like, hey, you know what, guys, I'm, I'm feeling a little ill. I'm not sure I can actually watch this game. So, you know, let's not talk about it. But, you know, at 11 o'clock, I was like, hey, you know what? Um, I could, I could watch a little cricket before bedtime. So I go on to Crick Info and I see 10 overs, 44 all out. Oh, dear Lord. I'm, I'm not really sure I want to tune into this train wreck now. You know, I'd rather just catch up on my sleep and, you know, take my meds and get into bed. It was, but, you know, once again, you know, people calling for smaller World Cups based on what happened last night. These people are not consistent, Right. When Scotland beat England, you know, I doubt if these people jumped out of the closet saying, hey, let's have much larger World Cups. Right. They these are the same people excuses like, oh, England were missing three or four players, you know, and it's 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 crazy to base your opinion on whether or not World Cups should be larger just on one result. Right. But we you know, we, we see this happening across sports. To, to established teams, right? 
couple of uh, World Cups ago in, in, in the FIFA, you know, men's football World Cup, a team like France, you know, I believe they lost like 3-2 to South Africa when it was being hosted in South Africa. No one's calling, no football fan. I don't know a single football fan who was saying, hey, France should not be part of the World Cup ever. I just don't think they're strong enough to be a footballing nation. No one ever says that. For some reason, and this has a lot to do with the whole top-down approach, just this assumption that cricket is reserved for a select few countries and people outside those countries are either not going to understand cricket, not going to enjoy cricket, or not going to be good at cricket. It's this strange, insular you know, identity that a lot of cricket fans have. And it just makes absolutely no sense because it doesn't happen in any other game. We have the Kabaddi World Cup, which is bigger than the Cricket World Cup. Just let that sink in for a minute. The Kabaddi World Cup is bigger than the Cricket World Cup. I mean, I, I, okay, I know that's, that's starting to change now, right? But, you know, it, it, it comes back to this argument of, you know, why is it taking us so long to grow and expand our, 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 our global tournaments. It's a good thing that it's happening now, finally, right? But why did we go back to a 10-team World Cup? Why do we have this whole round one and super 12 thing? You don't see this in any other major global sport. You don't see this in any other minor global sport, you know? So that's one of the most well, frustrating... <laughs> You know, the answer to that, maybe it's way too simplistic and maybe there's a more nuanced explanation. Uh, but my thought about that is ultimately the early exit of the Indian team in the 2007-50 or World Cup really changed the rules after that. You know, it, it seemed like um, the ICC slash BCC wanted to make sure that, you know, major teams quote unquote India, don't make early exits because that affects revenue, that affects eyeballs. I, I, I mean, yeah. I, I agree with you. It, it, it definitely mattered, but I think what we saw, and I remember discussing this with Burtis as well when he was on the podcast was they've also removed the Intercontinental Cup, which that they did that, you know, mid, what was it, 2014 or 15. And that was the path to qualification for test cricket. So when they remove that, how are, you know, what's the, who's the next Ireland or who's the next Afghanistan? There's no chance. Uh, so, I mean, I think in, in that sense, he's Jay spot on and saying that cricket has, the ICC has become almost like this gatekeeper who's stopping teams from, you know, playing more cricket instead of FIFA, which in spite of all its corruption, all is, all its issues, um, at least has a consistent 32 team, you know, World Cup. And that allows for all these qualifications, all these chances. And uh, even if it's the odd upset or, you know, it's Greece winning the Euro 2004, it's an odd event like that. It at least gives an opportunity. So I think it's, it's, it's more than just that World Cup, but definitely that played a big part. Yeah, 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 no doubt. Absolutely. Um, you know, Benny, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It was, it was 2007 that scared uh, the living daylights out of a lot of administrators and a lot of broad, the broadcasters, especially, right. They wanted right. a certain number of guaranteed India games, but even with that, there were smarter moves 
that you know you could have made to to strike that balance between um you know india game revenue and and still growing the game there's there's so many things that could have been done and you know at the end of the day you globalize the sport and from my perspective you globalize the sport and the pie gets bigger for everyone right it's it's not something that's going to happen overnight you know it might take a decade or something like that but that decision to move to a 10 team world cup uh and by the way of course the 2015 world cup was a 14 team world cup so we already started taking steps backwards we're lucky that also wasn't a 10 team world cup right there was a last minute reversal um on 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 the decision of shrinking that world cup even further but you know these moves have arguably set cricket back at least another 15 years right so where we are now with the the good news that you know we're finally going to have a 20 team uh, t20 world cup this news is 15 to 20 years too late this this should have happened a very very long time ago right right and yeah you're right that 2007 in 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 many ways you know bangladesh beating ireland uh was the worst thing to happen to fans for for a more global and inclusive sport it was the wor- it was a bad enough day for me as an indian fan right i'm sitting there like why did i stay up at the bloody 4 a.m. to watch this right why am i staying up to watch this right so from that perspective in the short term as a 16 year old i don't think i saw uh you know the ramifications this would have for cricket in the next 15 20 years but uh there were so many better ways to to strike that balance between uh revenue for broadcasters and growing the game and the 10 team world cup it was the only reason it did not absolutely uh stink as a spectacle is because sri lanka beat england right uh, yeah. if it wasn't for that we'd have so many dead rubbers and it would have been an absolutely horrible tournament up until the final right you we would have had the last two thirds of that tournament just being unbearable a bu- unbearable procession of dead rubbers right and the fact that sri lanka beat england is the only thing that saved us from that right so well that that world cup fittingly ended in darkness <laughs> that's what i remember about <laughs> that um you know we we could go on about on and on about all of this but i want to very quickly you know talk about you know while you know the t20 world cup is going on there is another crucial tournament that's you know taking place for uh other associate nations who are not taking part in this world cup um and this is towards qualifying for the next t20 world cup which is happening next year um now we have to ask about hong kong of course uh but even other teams like nepal they are making progress as well what can you tell us about that tournament and jay remember benny's wearing a us jersey <laughs> yeah, I know. I I didn't notice that actually. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to do anything for their prospects, but still. <laughs> yeah, so as many of you know, qualifying for the next T20 Men's World Cup has already begun. So it it can be quite hard to keep track of this stuff, you know, since we are also playing, you know, the 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 actual, you know, current edition of the T20 World Cup right now. But uh here's just a quick summary. of who's qualified and who hasn't uh, of course the four teams that did not make it into the super 12 this time around they automatically uh, get into the global qualifier uh, 
of the next edition, right? So the global qualifier is actually a 16 team tournament, but the 16 teams are split into two groups of eight. So in a weird way, it's not actually a global qualifier. It's, it's sort of like a, it's sort of two different uh, group A and group B, two parallel uh, global qualifiers. So the Netherlands, PNG, Oman, and Ireland, uh, they get into the global qualifiers automatically, right? So that's four out of 16 spots. Uh, another four spots are determined in terms of rankings. So with that, Zimbabwe, Singapore, the UAE, this is where it gets complicated, right? This is, this is why I have like actually... Yes, so Jersey, they did get in, but that's not ranking-based. That's because oh. they qualified through the, uh, the Europe regional qualifiers along with Germany, uh, right? So you have those teams. Um, Hong Kong, they qualified because the Asia qualifier could not be played. And this was based on performance in, in, the, last, uh, in the last, either based on performance in the last couple of years or also based on rankings, right? So you still have another four slots left to be decided uh you're gonna get two from the americas region where you know benny sporting that usa jersey you know he'll be uh he'll have his hopes up but dude don't get your hopes up too much man i'm gonna engage in a little bit of trash talk you did get beaten to the last qualifier by bermuda canada so hey man you know i, I I'm know i'm just focusing know on the positives out. We just recently <laughs> had a batsman score six sixes and over so we've got some talent Mate, I'm just gonna say, you know that 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 regional qualifier, you get two birds out of four. You guys could not finish in the top half, you know. <laughs> like wow, but okay, you know what? I'm I'm gonna reduce I'm gonna reduce the pain that you're feeling right now, and um, you know, you look at the Africa qualifier, for example. Uh, there are actually twelve teams in the sub-regional uh, qualifier going on right now, and you're gonna have six teams in in the final regional qualifier. For Africa, right? So that's going to play, be played sometime in November. So you have that. You have two births from the Americas qualifier and one birth from somewhere else. I'm not entirely sure. But uh, the Philippines have also gotten in from the Asia Pacific region. Wow. Um, the Asia Pacific qualifier could not be played. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really exciting. It's not ideal that a lot of these qualifiers are being played uh, during the current World Cup. It makes it very right. hard to follow. Uh, and it's much the same for the women's game as well. Uh, a team like Brazil, they're currently competing in, uh, oh, they finished competing in the uh, America's qualifier for, uh, for, for the T20 Women's World Cup, right? So it's not ideal that you have a lot of these qualifying tournaments crammed in. Uh, without COVID, in an ideal world, it would be just one after the next. And it would be fantastic. And associate cricket action would never stop. Uh, but the problem now is, um, associate cricket action is almost cannibalizing, uh, you know, another tournament, right? And we're going to see this uh, next month as well in November. You have the Asia qualifier for uh, the women's um, for the women's T Twenty World Cup, and that's going to be going on at the same time as the women's fifty over World Cup global qualifier, right? So those two are going to be going on at practically exactly the same time. Um, which is a real shame because in terms of women's cricket, um, Asian associate women's cricket is absolutely exploding. This is a golden era 
right? We talked about the professionalization of the sport in Malaysia and Nepal. Uh, Hong Kong has something called the Fair Break Global uh, T20 Series planned for 2022, where they have, you know, the likes of Alex Blackwell, Julia Price, and, and you know, players, uh, former players of that stature, part of the coaching staff. They're hoping to get, you know, international players, perhaps from Pakistan, uh, England, Australia, and even India. They're hoping to get them down, uh, you know, to Hong Kong for T20 tournament, right? So this is, this is the best time to be, you know, a Hong Kong woman's cricket fan, to be an Asian uh, woman's cricket fan. Uh, so it's a shame that that tournament has to be played at exactly the same time as, uh, you know, the qualifier for the 50 over World Cup. But um, nonetheless, you know, super exciting times uh, for all the qualification pathways. You could watch all the stuff on ICC.tv. But let me, but let me ask you this, because from all that you just mentioned over the past few minutes, what I'm thinking is, wow, this sounds really complicated. <laughs> How, so as someone who follows associate cricket for a living, and what can you tell me, someone who follows associate cricket only during major cricket tournaments, if I wanted to get into following more associate cricket, it just seems so many tournaments are happening all the time and they have different stakes. How do you best follow it? Like, is there, how, yeah, I don't know. What, what is your suggestion for people who really were interested in associate cricket, but they don't know where to start? Yeah, see, that's a, that's a fantastic question. And um, the, the problem why it is so complicated is also because um, just, you know, because of the ICC communications team. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to blame any specific individuals. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, they've, they've kind of, they kind of have to lead from the front here. Um, you just see it on the social media handles as well the, the the priority that they give to associate cricket it they, there's so much room for improvement there and i think they actually you know to their credit i think they are you know getting better at least when it comes to covering uh the higher ranked uh, associate uh, members but uh yeah but i mean any case coming back to your question how to follow it i think it also comes down to uh you know us journalists uh, perhaps you know we should be you know putting out a video or or a piece on exactly how the qualification pathway events work. Um, but, you know, I will say one thing to simplify it for every, before every World Cup, you have the World Cup, then you have a global qualifier. And before the global qualifiers, you have regional qualifiers to determine who gets into the global qualifier. Um, and unfortunately, there's another layer below the regional qualifier, there's a sub-regional qualifier. Right. So that's basically the four tiered structure for every single global tournament, whether it's men's or women's. So you have the tournament itself. You have the global qualifier, regional qualifiers, and sometimes you have sub regional qualifiers. So that's really the, the, the crux of it. Um, so I'm not sure if that actually answers your question of, you know, how, how is it easy? <laughs> like, no, what we follow it. That, that's and, the base. And the, other, and the other thing to mention is, which I learned this week actually, was you could register on um, the ICC website for free and watch many of these games. So I was watching the US women play, um, where they're playing. Was it Brazil? Uh, Might have been uh, Brazil. No, well, Brazil was playing Canada today, but um, 
I, I, you know, you could watch a bunch of these games. I was also seeing Jersey play Germany yesterday. So all of these games are available free to air. All you need to do is create a login on the ICC website. So that's a way to start if you have the time. Yeah, I'm also, absolutely. I'm also going to throw a free plug for Jay um, all over cricket. I think you guys do a great job in covering associate cricket. So uh, I think for people like me who are keen to know more and understand how all of this works and follow all these teams beyond, you know, these global tournaments, all over cricket is a great resource. And we're going to include the links um, in our show notes as well. There are people out there, who, you know, very committed, uh, not just the players and the fans, but people who cover the game. So I think that's a good place to start, you know. Um, so as we wrap this up, you know, this is another thing that I'm going to share on our, you know, show notes and our website later is, you know, there was this tweet uh, earlier today um, and talking about associate cricket and the impact on the fans, cricket fans back home. Uh, someone tweeted this picture, which I'll share later, of uh, fans in Nepal following the game. You know, uh, yeah, this was during the T20 World Cup in 2014. And it's like almost like an entire town has gathered around the square. To... One satellite dish. Wow. So that's amazing. And that's how Indian cricket and following Indian cricket was for decades almost, you know, around the time India won the World Cup in 83. And after, I've heard stories of how, and I think to a large extent, it still is today in smaller towns. Uh, where people just gather in like communities and and watch the game. And so if we keep relegating associate teams to like, well, this is your Connor, you come and play some games during the global tournaments and back to your Connor you go after it's over. I think that is a very negative and very regressive approach um, because we complain about cricket you know like empty stadiums and like oh people are losing interest in this and you only got to see the passion that these fans bring the passion that these players bring and we're seeing stories like scotland and namibia today and there are there's so much more potential oman could have a great you know story coming up uh, not in the too distant future so the passion is there the fans are there and really we just need to the the authorities, the responsible people have to do their best to continue globalizing this and the game is only going to get richer for it. Um, so on that note, Jay, thank you so much for joining us. Honestly, we could have gone on and on and probably we will on another episode. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been, it's been a pleasure to come on. You know, anytime, any opportunity I get to champion a more global and inclusive and gender inclusive sport, you know, I'll take yes. it. I can talk about this stuff forever and ever and ever but uh no you know i i hope you know you guys have uh learned something and you know the viewers as well uh at the end of the day i feel like if you're more informed about associate cricket and you know for example those qualification pathways uh you know the, the more you know it's it's addictive it, ju it just becomes addictive you want to find out more you know that's how i really really got into um associate cricket from a young age just the more you know the more exciting it becomes, um, like with anything. But, you know, like I said, absolute pleasure to be on. If you want to do another podcast on women's associate cricket, if you want Absolutely. to do a podcast specifically on women's associate cricket in Asia, go super niche. I am definitely your guy for that. 
But uh, yeah, no, great to be on. You can follow me on Twitter at all over Crick. And yeah, guys, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Jay, thank you so much for coming on. We learned so much. We learned stuff like that. You love to trash talk USA cricket fans without any provocation. So thanks for that. Uh... Man, I don't mind. <laughs> Well, that's it for this episode of The Last Wicket. Thanks again to Jay for joining us and sharing his passionate thoughts on the state of associate cricket. Meanwhile, if you enjoy this conversation, do rate and subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. Follow us on your social media feeds and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you for listening. And from all of us here at The Last Wicket, stay safe and stay healthy.